Welcome to the Rural Insights Podcast, where we explore rural actions and policies that impact Michigan's Upper Peninsula and beyond. This podcast is brought to you by the Rural Insights Institute, working to ensure that rural citizens and policymakers alike have the information necessary to make good decisions. If you'd like to learn more about Rural Insights, visit ruralinsights.org. Now, here's your host, David Haynes. Good morning. Welcome to this edition of Rural Insights Podcasts and um, and Zoom uh, videos. We would uh, today. We're really uh, pleased to have the uh, the Michigan Director of Department of Agriculture and Rural Development, Gary McDowell. Uh, welcome, Gary. Glad you're here. Well, thank you so much, David. I really appreciate this opportunity and. It's great to finally um, hook up with you and have an opportunity to discuss. We got a little technology <laughs> problems we've talked about. So Gary and I have known each other for years and years and years. So Gary, tell us in a couple of minutes, you grew up in the UP and why don't you tell our viewers about that you grew up and you worked and you spent your professional life and then went to the legislature. Yeah, I did. I lived in the UP my entire life. I still live here in Red Yard. I grew up on a farm just southeast of town, oldest of 10 children. And and um, we still, I'm not quite involved in the farm operation anymore, but I was up to a few years ago with two brothers still operating it. And just took down the 80 acre farm now. We grew up to approximately about a thousand acres. Kind of cutting back now though, looking at um, looking at the next chapter after the farm. But yeah, it was, then we went to, um, up to Lake State and met some of my, well, I didn't meet Mitch Irwin there, but we were, Mitch grew up right here in Red Yard, childhood friends, same age, went to school together. And some of other group up there, we were very active in the Young Dems back at that time, back in the early 70s. And Mitch and Pat, they went on and elected to public office. And I ran for the Chippewa County Board of Commissioners, served 22 years on the board, the last years as chair. And then from there, I did run for state representative, fortunate enough to win and served my three terms. I was term limited out of there, ran for Congress. Some of you might remember that. Very close race, uh, lost by less than a half of a percent, actually. And then um, been farming and just kind of taking it easy. And, and then this opportunity came up when Governor Whitmer got elected. I was um, asked to consider the job of Department of Ag, I did. I went through the process and I was selected. And that's what I've been doing ever since for the last two and a half years. And it's been quite an experience. I've really enjoyed it. It's a um, great opportunity to learn not just about Michigan Ag, but everything that we can do to help the citizens of Michigan. Got a great boss. She's um, She really cares about Michigan, but rural Michigan. So we've been um, able to do some great things and just... Um, just take some questions, I guess, David, from there. I'm ready. I'm ready. So the governor proposed a, an Office of Rural Development, I think, right, earlier this year. And uh, is that in is, is that in operation? Is it funded? You and I talked about that once before. There was some concerns about funding. So um, it's not. And did it get funded? Yeah. No, at this time, the office isn't actually in place yet. Um, this came actually it came out of the pandemic as we were looking at how we pivot pandemic, post-pandemic and lessons learned. And we've seen, um, and especially we really came to the forefront 
was a lack of broadband in rural Michigan. It was children were home, schools were shut down, um, parents, both of them working from home. And it really put us at a big disadvantage here in the real part of the state. And we just looked at broadband is not the only thing. We're falling behind in a lot of things in rural Michigan. We look at average incomes, we're lower than the state level. Um, education levels were lower and just the lack of opportunities in rural Michigan. So we, we thought that this would be a great opportunity to actually establish an office of rural development housed in the Department of Ag and rural development. We've had a very small role in rural development. It only was the severance from the mine, the Eagle Mine in Marquette County. Those funds there that was created a rural development fund, which we administrate. But we can do so much more when we look across the rural part of the state. And having this office that focuses strictly on the rural part of the state. And, and when we start talking about the roads, the infrastructure, schools, hospitals, everything that goes into building up the rural part of the state, um, we think this office will be focused just on that. And right now there is legislation working its way through the process. We're very fortunate. Um, Senator McBroom is taking the lead in the Senate. Right now, we're just working on the details on that bill. And once we get the, the office officially established, then we'll be looking for the funding portion. And we don't, and if we get the office established with the help of Senator McBroom, I believe that won't be an issue. But we're just really excited about this. I think it's a great opportunity. There's a lot of um, federal dollars that are going to be coming our way. And working very closely with um, USDA Rural Development, and all of our state agencies, we will be that one office where if you're a community in the UP, and a lot of our smaller communities especially just don't have the resources, um, we wanna work with you. We'll navigate that maze of, of organizations and that which you have to get through to accomplish what your goals are. And, and we're, we're hoping and we will be that, that office, that go-to. Uh, you know, I was just looking at some data from the federal government and a, and a think tank that did a county by county review nationally on the number of people who are behind in their rental payments as the federal government deals with the eviction problem. Mm -hmm. And uh, in a very, very prosperous uh, counties like Marquette and Houghton, it's above 8%, uh, Marquette and Chippewa, it's above mm -hmm. 8% of people, I think more than several months behind. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and and I think up in the Houghton area, and it was 11.8. And, uh, and then you look at issues um, like childcare costs, rural insights. We did a study on that in the, in the UP and six, seven, eight hundred a month per kid in rural areas. Uh, or in, excuse me, in the UP, uh, we mm -hmm. did look at other rural areas. Are those some of the things, the types of things we could help people besides the current development? Would it help people with poverty issues and work issues and rental issues and, and uh, food shortages? Would that be the kind of thing also the office would help average citizens with? Yeah, we don't have like any set what we're going to be working with. It's just issues that affect the real part of the state. Right. And just like with, with ag, we were um, looking at so hard to get help in the ag sector. And one of the reasons that came up is housing. 
We do not have sufficient housing in the rural part of the state. And that just goes, we talk to other industries in the rural part of the state, our tourism industries, manufacturing. Housing is a big issue. And, and it's a statewide issue, but it really seems to be an issue in the rural part of the state. So we put together a task force at the Department of Ag um, a year ago. Of course, in the pandemic hit, a lot of things got put on the back shelf. But we continued to hold town hall meetings across the state um, on this issue. And we did put together a white paper. We haven't got it fully submitted yet, I don't believe, but it'd be coming out soon. as different um, recommendations. And one of them that was to set up a fund just for this to help um, communities, investors get that initial um, grant wherever they needed to get the projects up and going. And the governor did include a portion of that in her budget. It was in the, the uh, Misha's budget there. So it's um, we're working on that. That's a big issue, of course. And we talk about evictions and that, with already when we have such a shortage of housing, I it's just I just we're just talking about that this morning. Me and my wife, when we're sitting here having coffee about this Saturday, this moratorium is going up. And if you imagine being in that situation where you you don't know where you're going to be staying, where you're going to be living. And um, I've been just been very fortunate not to have that situation, but think of all the people who are in that situation and what can we do to help? I mean, we just, it's just one of those things I just can't imagine is not actually having safe, affordable housing, especially when you have children. I mean, this is just a, it's a real crisis coming. I, I really hope that, um, come up with a solution. They can continue to extend that moratorium. That's what the, the immediate need is right now. Well, during, during an interview with the, uh, that we did on Rural Insights podcast with uh, the city manager of Sault Ste. Marie, Brian Chapman, he, he talked about this and the Sioux mm -hmm. does not have enough available housing middle-income and lower-income housing, he said. And Marquette City just produced a study about it. It's a, it's a, it's a problem there also, mm -hmm. middle-income and lower-income. Uh, and, uh, and then we add in, we keep talking about this with legislators and others, rural areas have a homeless problem like urban, and we have a high rate of veterans uh, at homeless. So that would be there that would help coordinate this office could help coordinate all these issues and help communities especially smaller rural communities and larger ones like the Sioux and Marquette and Houghton Iron Mountain uh right is that sort of would be like a coordinating office as well yeah we would um and we're going to be starting out small but we know the need is there and as we continue to see the need and show results that we'll be able to continue to grow this office and help more areas, help with more different um, issues. Like you talk about housing, it's, and you look at the cost of new construction and it's so expensive. You talk about medium wage earners, lower wage earners, they have to have help. There's just no way that you can possibly do it on the means that you have. So we have to provide uh, affordable housing and, um, and I, we have to do that collectively as a state, as a nation, and um, and if we want your communities to grow, you have to have housing. I mean, it's just that people can afford to live in. So I, definitely. I was talking to some of my neighbors in Big Bay, where I live, and 
they were talking to some folks up there that were told by contractors that with all the shortages and everything, there's a four-year delay of stack of jobs, but it's now $400 a square foot for just a medium type structure. Then everyone's observation, we're all sitting around over coffee, actually it was over cocktails. <laughs> everyone was saying, you know, middle class or lower income or anybody, that, that's an expensive housing in today's market, you know, how could you ever get to that point? If you're a middle-class yeah. family, you want to build your first house with you and your two kids, you know. Um, what about uh, uh, the issues of minimum wage? Uh, you know, the, the federal minimum wage has been the same thing for a zillion years. The minimum wage obviously impacts rural areas very much where it's at from both a business perspective and a worker perspective who can't make a living uh, $10, $10 yes. an hour, if you're lucky enough, $10 an hour is $20,000 a year. I mean, that's a be very hard in the UP. Other than the myth you can live very cheaply in the UP, everyone believes that except people who live in the UP. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I agree with that. Um, when you talk about the cost of living, I think the only thing that was, has been lower has been housing. And that's no longer an issue. I mean, that's it's very, very expensive. If you go buy, fill your car up in the UP, typically you pay more to heat your house through the winter or whatever. We have high cost here. It's not necessarily a cheaper place to live anymore. And and living on like you're talking about, I'm not sure what the state minimum wage is. I know it's higher than the federal minimum wage. I guess like maybe nine, ten dollars an hour, but still, like you said, twenty thousand dollars a year. Um, I, how you get by on that. And then if you're looking to work, to have transportation, very little public transportation in the UP. Um, the cost of daycare is the same. It's very, very, it's high. Um, and then when you're looking, look, we work for those type of wages. It's just, I don't see how it's possible to make ends meet. So on the, on the other side, we have, uh, of, the, of the spectrum, we have, economic development forces in the UP as well as everywhere else looking at how to adjust the UP economies to the new uh, the new economy, I guess would be the way to say it. And people working at home, uh, high tech, small high tech operators, you know, there's a big push mm -hmm. for people to move rural areas from both employers and from regional. Um, any comments on that, on the issue of economic development mm -hmm. in rural areas and helping small, I'm not talking about helping big businesses, but helping small businesses survive during uh, this, this, this new economic cycle? Yeah, that's one of the things that did come out of the pandemic, looking post-pandemic, just in the Department of Ag, we're looking at hybrid situations where employees can, can work from home and some want to come back in the building, some are more effective at home. But we found that we could operate our department very effectively right across state government from working from home with the technology. And of course, with the UP, we do have the situations because of the internet um, not being what it needs to be. But you're going to see more people being able to work from home. They, I have my youngest daughter. She's down in Charlotte, North Carolina, and she works for a large financial institution. Been working from home. Well, my two youngest daughters actually live there, but the one now, her and her husband just had their first child, are talking about moving back to the UP, and she'll be able to maintain her job, what she has there, 
but she'll be working from close to home, which you want, they both want to move back. Her husband's from the Sioux and big family. We have a big family. And she said she wants her children to have the same thing that we had up here in the UP. So, but she's going to have that opportunity, it looks like. So I think that's just going to be spreading across to other, other companies. People who are self-employed will be able to work from home. Um, yeah, it's a great opportunity for the UP and the rural parts of the state. If we have the, like I said, we have the infrastructure to make sure that they can do that. But I think that's a real area that we need to look at for growth. What, uh, what about issues, uh, any thoughts and issues about rural health care? You know, I know uh, hmm. uh, University of Michigan is uh, up in Alpena now. There's talk about them being have a relationship with more memorial in the Sioux. Uh, there's talk about it in Marquette. Um, still, we have rural areas outside the cities of the Sioux and Marquette, Houghton Iron Mountain, where you get deeper in. Uh, healthcare is still availability of healthcare and immediate access is a difficulty. Any thoughts or issues in the department you can think of that um, for rural listeners? Yeah, you're kind of getting out of, out of our bandwagon there. You know, you try to talk about healthcare now, but but there is um, you know, with the Affordable Healthcare Act, there's like right here close to us, we have two federally qualified health care centers that provide health care, you know, to people in the lower incomes. Um, and it's been a big help here. And know there's several across the UP. But we're, it's the same thing. It's the distance um, to see a doctor, to see a specialist. We've always had a shortage of providers. And then with the distance that's been included, it's but um, there's been progress made there, and I continue to think that that's going to continue to go forward. I know it's a struggle for our smaller smaller hospitals, has been for years. We've seen a lot of consolidation there, but we've been pretty fortunate to, to keep in our smaller communities to still have hospitals um, because of the critical acts, critical care portion of Medicare, which has allowed that to, to continue. And I'm I'm sure that. Our representatives and in Congress will continue to support that program, but um, it's just like everything in the UP, we have our unique struggles, and most of it is because we're such a big peninsula with a small population, and um, you find that very quickly in Lansing that you say you're from the UP, and they'll say, "Well, I know somebody from the UP," and well, I'm in the eastern, and this person's in a different time zone, 300 miles away. Uh, they kind of see us as just one neighborhood up here. Well, here we are. We're such an expansive um, peninsula and with all our unique problems across the peninsula. Yeah, with only 3%, 33% of the land and 3% of the population. Uh, and in many ways, I suppose the internet and technology helps close that, but it's still a problem with uh, in terms of getting things done. Is there anything you want to tell us as we get to closing? I promise we try to keep it 15, 20 minutes so that anything you want us, our, our listeners and readers to know and viewers to mm -hmm. know about uh, the Department of Agriculture, Rural Development and you need to uh, tell us. I'm, I'm just, Department of Ag, like myself, I, I've learned so much since I've been there. Growing up on a farm in the Eastern UP and our big crop is Timothy Hay. You come to find out that Michigan is a real powerhouse when it comes to agriculture. We lead the nation in many different crops. We have approximately 300 commodities grown in Michigan that are for, that we, for sale. 
putting us right in the very top in the in the country after California. And um, it's a big part of our economy. Um, ag last year was $104.7 billion contributed to Michigan's economic um, growth. So it's it's big. It's big in Michigan. And I've um, and we're in so many different areas that we do. We're mostly a regulatory um, agency. But I guess a good example of it is just try to put in perspective. When I first got first got the job, we had that real cold snap across the state. And a state of emergency was called in Michigan. And the governor, she was, had an exercise after and what the, each department, what our role was. And she picked out MDARD first. I think she was surprised when our emergency manager got up and he said, um, well, during this period of time, it was a flood actually, and with that cold snap with the ice buildup. She said, we, we immediately, we had to look to make sure that our fertilizers were safe, our pesticide storage were safe, that there was, um, our gas stations were able to function with the flood because that's one of MDR, we inspect the gas stations. We, um, license all your food establishments in Michigan, not just your restaurants through our local health departments, but all your food processors. We had to make sure that the food supply system was safe. If you had a pet that you lost or whatever it was, um, making sure that the animal shelters were prepared for this because we also um, suspect and regulate them. It was just, um, if there was any um, like, big manure, the goons, and those types of things, making sure that they were safe. There was no overflows. It just went on and on. What our role was in this, we're a very small department, but we have such a big role. We impact almost everybody's life in some way every day. And, the, and, and at MDARD, it's always been truly customer service, making sure that we maintain the food and safety of animals and human health in this state. And we're just totally committed to that. And I'm just so impressed with the 500 employees we do have at MDART and the job that they do every day. It's just something we all can be very proud of. Well, thank you, Gary. I, I you know, I, I always say this when I interview legislators and folks like you who are appointed to high level positions, uh, uh, that the, it is a sacrifice on all your parts and, and it's, it's uh, in an era when people are so questioning your government and, and people who serve, it is great to hear this kind of news, especially that on the day following the death of one of the great public servants, yes. somebody you and I were very good friends with, the United States Senator Carl Levin, it reminds us how important public services like you're doing. So thank you very much. And uh, if you don't mind, we're gonna come back to you in a couple months and get an update on where it is with the Office of Rural Development. Well, thanks so much, David. Thanks for the opportunity. And yes, we lost a great Senator yesterday. And um, like I said, we all got to know him well. He was such a personal person. And and he's a, he's a true example of what public service is. He was the best example. Well, thank you. I'll let you get back to work, get back to your family. Have a wonderful weekend. It's supposed to be nice and sunny in the UP. And yep. uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Well, thanks so much, everybody. Thanks. Bye now. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Rural Insights Podcast. 
Brought to you by the Rural Insights Institute. Working to ensure that rural citizens and policymakers alike have the information necessary to make good decisions. If you enjoy our content, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel. You can also subscribe to our weekly email newsletter by visiting ruralinsights.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.